Today we will hear from Fred Kayatari. I hope I said that right. He's a senior at Methodist University, a good friend of the uh, Hendricks and Spencers, and he's been here before, and he's going to talk to us about, uh, the outreach team wanted him to talk to us about an opportunity that we have to participate in a global mission project, which is related to his own village, where he comes from. So this, do we have a microphone for him? Thank you so much, uh, Reverend Scott, for this opportunity, and uh, thank all of you for giving me some of your time. My name is Fred. I'm a student here at Methodist, like uh, Reverend Scott just said. I've been here like three, four times before. Uh, usually I come with Dr. Hendricks and his family. I've gotten to know them very well. Dr. Hendricks volunteers to pick up students at the Fairview Airport, international students, and three years or three and a half years ago, he picked me up and brought me to Methodist and invited me to his home. And I've been a very close friend and family member since then. Over the summer, in the midst of COVID, when I couldn't go home, they invited me to their house and I stayed there for the last three months. And while I was there, I used to attend via Facebook Live, like most of you did through the whole summer. And actually, when I was there, I was a part of a group that with uh, Steve, we did uh, Bible study online, and it was really a fun time. So I enjoy being here and being in the presence of the church. I'm working on a project. I come from a very remote village in Rwanda. My village does not have clean water or electricity. So here I was in America with all those things and luxuries. And I have always felt a sense of responsibility to do something to provide these basic needs to my village. So I developed a project, and my project won 10000 from the Davis Foundation to go build a water well in my village. This is not enough to do what I wanted, however. My ultimate goal is to build a well and bring the water using solar-powered pumps from the valley and bring it to the village where it's closer to the people. I've lived in this village for the most of my time, and the water at the dam that is like 30 minutes away from the village is very dirty, that it has caused so many diseases, to say the least, in the village. I have known kids who have drowned in this dam when we were kids. So this project is literally a lifesaver. So I'm going there in the, in the summer, to build the project, and we are short 4,000 on the money we need to finish the project as we intend to. So I'm here doing some fundraising. I've been reaching out to local organizations, and so I met Pastor Scott, and he invited me to come and talk to the church and see if people can contribute. To put this into numbers and perspective, if we could get 100 people to contribute $50 each, will have just enough money to build a water project that will provide clean and accessible water to a thousand people in my village. This is truly a life-saving project that in the scheme of things could change the lives of people in this village who have to walk 30 minutes down the hill to fetch the water and we can just bring it up to the gates of the village. So if your heart makes you feel like you wanna do something about this, you can sign a check to the church and air market Fred's Water Project. The church has agreed to be the host of the funds, and for that I'm really grateful. And 
I have talked to our treasurer, April, and I'll report to her every penny of transactions so you can know how your money was used to save lives in my village. I thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you, Fred. Again, for those gathered here in your insert on the bottom, uh, there's a little announcement for Fred's Water Project and some information on how you can give. Our scripture today comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, and then Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11. Ben, did we ever get word of that video coming in? No? Well, we'll post it this afternoon. We have our own Ruthie Bates Edson wrote, uh, uh, did a wonderful video for this scripture, and we've had some transmission issues this morning. But we'll get that out on the Facebook feed later this afternoon. But here's what Jesus wrote as we continue to move through the Sermon on the Mount. This is the second to last week. We'll take a look at it as we think about uh, too normal to be a Christian, wrestling with that idea. Jesus says the following, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, open our ears so that we may hear. Open our minds so that we might understand. And make us more faithful followers of your Son through the power of your Word and Holy Spirit today. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. These two verses might be the most victimized in all of Scripture by greedy televangelists and manipulative authors. (laughs) I was searching around for some examples, and one that I found was, is a current book written by Esther and Jerry Hicks. It is entitled, Ask, and it is given how to manifest your desires. And the book is about working with your energy and emotions to increase your prosperity, reclaim your health, and clear all this clutter from your life. And a first impression, if you take these two verses out of context, you could come up with such an interpretation. 
for they seem to promise categorically we can get anything we pray for as long as we have the boldness and perseverance. But if we put these two verses into context and think about all that Jesus has said on the Sermon on the Mount, these verses aren't about prosperity, health, and clearing clutter. Instead, they're about seeking God's will for our lives and knocking on God's door of mercy with prayer so that we will live in the way Jesus calls us to when it comes to telling the truth or showing mercy and creativity when we're angry instead of vengeance or walking away from lust and walking towards love, or seeing the log in our own eye before we notice the speck in someone else's. It takes prayer to live like this, focused prayer, intense prayer, and a deep trust in God. For when we live this way, we are set apart from the world. We are not normal, and we focus on living our lives in a way that the world does not. And we trust God with things that the world is always anxious over. For instance, I got to know a man at a learning seminar recently, and the learning seminar was on listening and coaching. And we learned about this and then practiced how to do it better. And I was teamed up with a man named Raymond. Raymond told me about the current situation he's going through. He's retired about two years ago from being an engineer in the Southern Pines area, and he's used to being very busy and and analytical about all this stuff uh, that he's he's doing. And he's used to being in control of everything, too. But now he's retired, and he's not very busy anymore. And stuff he does doesn't require a lot of analytical skills either. And as he's gotten more involved in the church in retirement, he's trying to give up control of his life, and, and that's very tough for him. Recently, he went to Latin America for the first time on a mission trip. Not because he wanted to, but he felt like God was calling him to after much prayer. And after he kept praying about it and feeling led. He even talked to his son so that he uh, was afraid that he was going crazy. (laughs) But his son told him, you got to go. God is calling you. So he went and it changed the way he saw the world in many ways. Afterwards, Raymond started praying to God about what he should do next. And at the same time, his church was starting a soup kitchen for the folks in his community. And because of his prayers and organizational skills, Raymond felt like God was calling him to help start that ministry. And now with that off the ground, he's starting to pray again for God's direction in his life. And he's a little afraid, if he's honest, because he couldn't imagine two years ago he would have taken a mission trip to Latin America and started a soup kitchen, but that's what he did. And he's found enormous satisfaction and a deep sense of purpose and contentment, but he's still a little afraid. So when he finished, I told him what I had heard so that he would know that I listened. And then I gave him this one piece of advice with the scripture this morning in mind. I said, lean into that uncertainty you feel right now with prayer. For that is a good place to be with God. Because it means you are open to whatever God calls you to do next. Jesus says... Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. 
So you see these verses aren't about prosperity, health, and clearing clutter at all. They're about seeking God's will in our lives, knocking on God's doors of mercy with prayer. And this prayer is focused, it's intense, so that we might discover the way Jesus wants us to live while trusting God with our lives, believing He will take care of us and lead us in the right direction and provide us for our needs. And Jesus, the Son of God, assures us that He will do this, and and He should know. He says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? And if your daughter asks for a fish, will give her a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? In other words, Jesus is saying, if you know how to take care of your kids, then God surely knows how to take care of His kids too. So trust Him. We might not get everything we want, but we will get everything we need. Which brings us to our second passage of the day, and it's about worry. And often this passage is interpreted in the pulpit by people like me saying, if you trust God, then there is nothing you should ever worry about. But is that what this passage is really saying? Or is it saying not to is it really saying not to worry about anything or is it challenging us to ask the question what are we worried about? For that reveals the very nature of our souls. So are we worried just about ourselves and what we want for our lives, or do we worry about the needy, the desperate, or those whose God's kingdom and righteousness is for? Well, what did Jesus say? I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. How much more valuable are you than they? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field go. They do grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. Instead, seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So this passage isn't about not worrying about anything at all. Instead, it's asking us the question, what are we worried about? What occupies our minds most of the day? Is it just things that pertain to our lives, our meals, and our appearances? Or do we trust God with that? Say, He's got it handled, which moves our worries to those who really need it. Those whom God's kingdom and righteousness are for, which are the people we heard about in the Beatitudes, the meek the humble, the peaceful, the poor. In other words, those whom the world often overlooks the most. A friend of mine recently told the story about a friend of hers. It's about uh, her brother-in-law. She says, he is the single most self-centered man on the planet. Now that's quite a title, folks. I mean, I've met some selfish people in my life, but I don't know if I've given them that title. But that's what she says, the single most self-centered man on the planet what she says. And she backed it up with a story of what happened on a trip she took once with her husband and kids. 
and her sister and brother-in-law, the single most self-centered man on the planet, and their kids. They went to the beach together for a week on a vacation, and they were in the same house. The first night, they wanted to decompress, so they turned on the TV. Somehow, they settled on a documentary about the unrest in the Sudan at the time, and about the 2.5 million people who were displaced and became refugees in another country, and the resulting abuses that occurred, especially for young women. In the refugee camps, the people were hungry and thirsty and needed wood to cook a meal, but the local men outside the refugee camp resented the fact that these foreign women were taking their food, water, and wood from their land. They had no interest in worrying about them or sharing resources with them. So often, the women and the girls were beaten by the local boys or men when they exited the camp to prepare for another meal, and sometimes they were even kidnapped and raped. So that's what the documentary was about. Obviously something you could easily decompress to on a vacation at the beach, you know. But that's what they were watching. The next morning at breakfast, her brother-in-law said, you know, I was upset all night long, just, just tossed and turned. I couldn't sleep. Her sister-in-law said, oh, me too. I was upset all night long too. I couldn't sleep either. I just kept thinking about those young women. Her brother-in-law then looked up from his eggs and said, What young woman? She said, The same ones you were thinking about, I'm sure. What we saw last night, those poor young women trying to survive in the Sudan. He said, Oh, no, I'd forgotten about that. No, yesterday driving down here, there was this, this noise in my engine. And I don't know what it is, but I bet it's going to cost me an arm and a leg. And she said, I had no idea how to respond to that. My sister just rolled her eyes because she's so used to it, but I just didn't know what to say. She said, here was someone who had seen a documentary on the violent abuse of young women who had done nothing wrong except for being in a country where civil war reigns and going to another one where the locals hated them, and that didn't even bother him at all. But he tossed and turned and couldn't sleep all night because he was worried about an auto repair bill. Here's the sad thing. That might be normal. That might be normal. Which is why Jesus hammers away in the Sermon on the Mount from start to finish about the difference between being normal and being Christian. It is normal to be worried about our own stuff and our bills, but he says it is Christian to be worried about the problems and pains of the rest of the world. Meaning that Christians still sometimes toss and turn at night and lose sleep, but it's not because of some noise in the engine. Instead, it's for some people in the world who are hungry, homeless, and abandoned, who are, are beaten up and bruised and battered, and who are often overlooked by others, but Christians know their problems and pains, and they worry about how they can resolve them. Now, don't misunderstand me. This does not mean we ignore our own lives or our family and friends, but it does mean that we are to trust God with that part of our lives so that we can turn our attention and worries to those who might need a little more. Those who are desperate and living at the edge of existence. Those whom God's kingdom and righteousness are for. When I was in Newton Grove for my first appointment as a pastor, I figured out after about a year, that both of those churches were basically family chapels. You might have heard that term before. They were made up of a few extended families. 
especially one of them. And so almost all the churches in Newton Grove, a town of 600 people, were basically that way. So that means there were very few visitors to the church. The visitors were normally extended family who hadn't been in a year or two or three or whenever. And because of that, it was easy for the church to get inward focused and remain in petty fights with one another all the time. But I and a few others in the church were trying to get out of this. We were trying to create an external focus so that we could get out of ourselves and serve others in the community. So about 18 months in, we got an idea. We thought, why don't we reach out to this Harvest House, whom we started a relationship with, this shelter that people are recovering from drugs and alcohol for 28 days. Why don't we ask them if we could come in once a month, share some food with them, serve them, and eat with them, and see what happens. And the folks in Newton Grove were a little skeptical of this, you know. They, they'd never done anything like this. But I guess they reasoned, well, why don't we let this young squirt of a pastor do this? I mean, nothing will come of it anyways, you know. And then, so when I called, the Harvest House was thrilled that we wanted to do something with them. And after about a month, we had lunch with the 10 residents there. About six or seven members of the churches showed up. And then a miracle happened. At the end of the lunch, one of the residents asked if we could take him and his friend to church the next Sunday. And then one of the members named Joyce said, oh, absolutely. Absolutely, we'd love to. In fact, if you're serious, I'll pick you up on Sunday morning. And when Sunday rolled around two days later, Joyce, a 63-year-old grandmother, was there and picked up three men in her Volkswagen Jetta and drove them half a mile down the road to church. A few weeks after that, a Sunday school teacher spoke up during celebrations and concerns. She said, you know, we've been praying for a long time that we'd have some new people in our Sunday school. And these residents have been an answer to prayer. They have provided us with some lively conversation too, but we're glad they're here. A couple weeks after that, one of the residents was going back home after a month, and he stood up and wanted to thank the people there in the church for eating lunch with him that first Friday, for being so friendly to him in his recovery, and for welcoming him into worship, just like Jesus would. It was the first time he'd been to church in a long time, and he looked forward to continuing the habit when he went back home. Several months after that, after this tradition carried on of eating lunch with them and getting to know them on Sunday, one long-term member named Jesse came walking out of church one day with tears streaming down his face. He'd been skeptical of this outreach at first, but he said to the choir director I overheard, he said, gosh, these men have it so tough. It's so hard to recover from addiction, but they're doing so much better now. I hope it continues. And looking back, what I realized is that this small family church, by just being in the presence of recovering addicts, was becoming more Christian. Because when they befriended people who were broken, poor in spirit, poor in stuff, and were making difficult decisions to get better, they realized that their little problems in their families or their little pains in their bodies weren't so serious anymore. They were realizing that God's got control of that part of our lives, and we're doing all right, so maybe we should worry about others, like those in the harvest house. Maybe that's what God wants from us. Maybe that's how we follow Jesus too. 
Jesus said, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear for the pagans run after these things? And your heavenly Father knows you need them. Instead, seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus hammers away at the difference in being, in being normal and being Christian. So tell me, what are you worried about? Let us pray. Oh God, we often say that we trust you and worry about our own lives all the time. Shake us up today, O oh God, and help us to realize that if we really trust you, we worry about others more, particularly those in need. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.